The seed is planted in the heartbeat of her vision, every commitment she makes to her decisions. Fertile soil, roots sprout, carving through dirt and pushing through doubt. And just like a rose, she rose from the ground, her branches spread out, creating her own route. A bud becomes a bloom and soon after a rose, and the thing about roses is they don't grow alone. Together they bloom, their petals all plump, so full they are ready to jump. But if roses wait around, they'll lose the energy. They'll fall to the ground and slowly die bitterly. So they don't wait to be plucked, they learn how to fly. They catch a wind and head straight to the sky. Thousands together, pink, purple, red tribe. The roses rise high and impossible to hide. You hear us coming, you'll see a hurricane of roses and we see you running. We'll know that you finally notice. Some will run away, cause petals and thorns swirling in the sky can terrify the average minds of those who stay blind to the dreamers that are way up high. Some will run towards wanting to be part of the pink and red storm, but roses have thorns to protect them from whoever wants their color and their softness that doesn't give them water, dries them out, and is thoughtless. But if you want them to grow and you nourish them and support their creative flow, and if you hydrate them with flower-scented rain, accept their thunder and processes for their pain, and you take care of yourself, find your own nutrition, a self-love lifestyle that brings your dreams to fruition, then you find your place where your energy can focus. Welcome to us, the Hurricane of Roses. When you hear us coming, You'll see the hurricane of roses when we see you running. We'll know that you finally notice when you hear us coming. You'll see the hurricane of roses when we see you running. We'll know that you finally notice when you hear us coming. You'll see the hurricane of roses. You'll finally notice, baby. From our local community, this was Nikki Sounds with Roses off her brand new Hurricane of Roses EP. You can find at Nikki Sounds on Instagram with links to all her music in bio. Or head to her website, NikkiSounds.com, and get her mailing list for updates. Five minutes past 12 midnight. Who's going to wear lipstick? Oh, you should. Say something about the Sacramento art scene. It exists, believe it or not. (laughs) And what was the goal of this? Uh, No goal other than to just, uh, for folks to have a good time. There's a little bit of everything. There's performance. There's there's big kind of graffiti kind of style stuff. There's conceptual stuff. There's installation. And we have flamas here. I see a lot of flamas. One is dressed like a priest right now. And the mountain rivers provide power through extensive hydroelectric installations. The best thing that can happen to Sacramento. Make it a modern city to have all the old buildings torn down. He worked as a community organizer. 
From Sacramento, the heart of California, and around the world, Genuine Modern Radio. Radio Flom. think they'd get it together. I gotta get back. I have a board meeting at one. Yeah. I'm meeting with the governor later, so... I think part of looking at historical things is what, or historical time periods in theater, is more what says that to a modern eye. So, for example, yeah, we might do a very deco design at times. However, is that what the 20s looked like? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like, I considered at one point on our set a design element that was the Hoover Dam Angels. I can't stand theater that comes across to folks as, basically that is constantly saying, if you had read more, you would find this very funny. <laughs> if you had read more, you would be really impressed, but you just don't know enough to, to, to be delighted. And that always bothers me. I think that, <laughs> I think we have to actually entertain people. Sunday is gloomy, my hours are slumberless. Here is the shadows I live with are numberless. Now playing through November 2nd, 2019. Green Valley Theatre Company's 11th annual production of Richard O'Brien's The Rocky Horror Show. Radio Flom's Steve Mayallo talks with Christopher Cook, founding artistic director of the Green Valley Theatre Company. Yes, everyone. Rocky Horror is back. Brad, Janet, Riff Raff, Magenta, Eddie, Betty, and of course Frank Enferter. But this time, it takes place in the 1920s. See it now live on stage, barely a gap between you and the actors. At the Roseville Tower Theater in downtown Roseville, California. So, uh, you're set up here in Roseville, which is just east of Sacramento, and it's not your typical space. The theater was redesigned. It was originally a big, giant 1,700-seat-plus movie house, and it, I, I think I remember it had, it had one screen, I was told, um, which is a hard thing to keep going. So the city got it and it was renovated and turned into a small black box theater in the round. So it had four sections of of seating on all four sides, entrances in the corners, and now one of the sections has been taken out. So it's theater in three quarters. So it's a three-quarter thrust, but it's highly raked seating. So they're all looking down onto the stage, which changes the way that you do things. It also means that your first folks in the first row, when they're seated, it means that they're actually lower than the actors if they're standing. You know, it's a challenge if you have a short person singing and everyone's standing around them. Well, no one sees them. You're looking at the backside of your actors. So you have to find ways of making this work. And you have to have different shapes on stage if you have people looking at you from all sides. You can't, 
you you can't all stand in a line and look out towards an audience because, well, half of you aren't. So Rocky Horror with a 1920s bent. Of course, that got my attention. So each year, as you know, we choose kind of a theme for the design. We don't change the show at all, but we do go ahead and kind of imagine the themes, the motivation, the characters, and the design of the overall um, look of the show, and we draw inspiration from different places. Are we doing the 1920s? Well, maybe. It's more that we're doing a science fiction version of the 1920s in the same way that the the show originally drew from old film, you know, it was a parody of old film and uh, and horror and science fiction. I mean, that's, you know, hence the opening number, and that's really, you know, what he was what he was doing when he wrote the thing. So a lot of our stuff is has a lot of very neo-futurism elements all over the place. Um if steampunk is for Edwardian, Victorian kind of era, then I'm not sure what what we're doing from the 20s. So it's something, it's something, it's not steampunk, but it's something as you would imagine the 1920s having moved forward. The funny part is you're, you're talking to a 20s historian right now, yeah. so <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I want to see what you did. Totally. <laughs> And, you know, there's also not very much time to do it in. You have to just go, go, go. And one song just plows into another. You have some really interesting actors in your troupe. Because I've been to a few of your shows. Because you don't just do Rocky Horror. You do Cabaret. And uh, I've noticed how diverse they are working in different roles and different parts. Uh, Where do they come from? Uh, The actors come from the community. We are not a professional company. We don't have equity contracts. And so most of these folks have day jobs. And, uh, for example, our our musicians, half of our orchestra, are either chemists or microbiologists. And the actors come from everywhere. But it's... They're all dedicated to what they do. Some folks are moving on, like they're using this as a training ground, so they'll make sure they have a couple of our musicals on their resume, or they'll use it as a place to, hey, I'm going to... I'm going to be able to play some of these roles I might not be able to play at the at the equity level, and I'll go ahead and play them at the community level so that they're on my resume, and then I'm working, going to college for acting, and then going to be moving out of town, that sort of thing. And, and it's wonderful to be a springboard for those folks. Um, a lot of performers have, have have done that. A lot of technical folks, they start here. They you know We use industry standard equipment and so folks can learn how to start designing lights in these less than ideal spaces and then when they get into these bigger houses they're just in fat city it's great and then at the same time there are some people who have no aspirations moving on professionally and this is a hobby and it means they're putting every bit of themselves into it because this is i mean it's an immense amount of work you can imagine you spend five nights a week for a month and a half you know you have to be doing it for a reason and just the amount of energy and joy that folks bring to it is very cool. And yet others, we have people who are, you know, parents and have to, and are tag teaming with a, uh, with a, uh, with, with a partner to go ahead and have one of them watch the kids while the other one does a show. And they, and this is definitely, even after having gone to work for, you know, all day, they work all day, take one moment to grab dinner and then they're running off to rehearsal or to do a show. That's an amazing thing. 
It's, I mean, you've created something really special here. Uh, first time I showed up for one of your shows, I ended up talking to not just the actors, but audience members, anyone doing tech, and everyone was really excited about getting involved in this. It's like, we're going to go out there, put on a show, put on an incredible show, and uh, see what we could do with it. And that energy just kind of flowed through the entire room. I'm so glad to hear that. That's true. That's that's really what happened. That's why I'm talking to you. I'm so glad to hear that. I mean, you were really tight with what you've been doing. Thank you. Yeah. And I don't, you know, it's funny you say that because I feel as if we don't take it too seriously. Uh, We don't take the idea of we've got to put on the perfect show uh, seriously. That's why I gravitate towards this stuff. Hopefully. I'm not big on canon. That's sort of been the whole the whole thing with Flom. Uh, even when we put our game out, I had elements in there that were not part of a 1923 game. Mm-hmm. And I think for entertainment purposes, you have to do that. People have to be entertained. Uh, you, you can't you can't even do a movie period piece and get it totally accurate because mm-hmm. people had bad teeth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, this year we're really pushing the the speakeasy, which seems like. It's a little on the popular side right now. However, for the show like this, uh, one of the big questions always is, why are the phantoms at this place? It's a question that's only partially answered, (laughs) even in the original script. Why are the phantoms there? You know, mostly it's comments by Brad, assuming he knows why they're there. So why are they there? So every single year you have to say, what are the phantoms? Are the phantoms dead? Are the Phantoms the Transylvanians as they're portrayed in the film? Like it's a convention of some sort. Um, are they fans of, of Frank? Are they prisoners of Frank? And then at the same time, you have to look at these archetypal, major archetypal figures that we have. You've got Janet, the, the, uh, the somewhat repressed coquette who... Uh, the, you know the repressed who lets loose when it's all when when the when 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 the stopper is pulled so to speak she lets it all let, lets it all out magenta who who wields a a personal strength that is as big as her hair you have the columbia who is the the she's always she's the squeaky voice and she's Nervous, yet she idolizes the rock star and she's very unsure of herself. And yet at the same time, she is the only person in the house there by their own free will, which is an amazing distinction to that character. Um, and I think folk, folk find themselves in these characters in a beautiful way, so you, you can't destroy any of that. You have to respect that. You have to respect the material. Sacramento is becoming the new <coughs> mural capital of this country. Into this explosive atmosphere road, a stranger in Sacramento. Wow, now we have over 100 murals that have been painted since 2016 with, from artists all over the world. I mean, if we moved downtown and we had the people that lived in the welfare motel next to us saying, 
oh, you're not going to last down here. Everybody goes out of business. You'll only be here for like six weeks and you'll be fasted. And I'm like, great. I remember when I moved here, everyone was talking about your gallery. And it was in that little strip. And I guess you, you've officially moved across the street now. Yeah, well, I mean, that, that wasn't even our first space. The first space was in an, in an alley with no name. We moved down to K Street because it just was getting to the point where people wanted more than we could deliver from the alley like John owned the place in the alley so we didn't have rent we and we had a lot of freedom because he was the landlord and uh, we got huge overhead all the promises that get made about oh yeah you know if you move I'll be in there every day and I'll be spending money and <laughs> it doesn't quite work out that way but um, you know we had a really good time down there but it was a lot of work you know because it was basically a full-time job you know it went from being a real yeah. like vanity project or hobby or whatever and a lot of a lot of fun and really not a lot of commitment as far as time goes. I mean, we were heavily committed to representing the artists and and making the best shows we could possibly make, but we weren't committed to being there seven days a week. Radio Flam talks to Toy Room Gallery co-owner Craig McLean, who is back with brick and mortar and totally new gallery shows Upstairs at Solomon's on K Street in Sacramento. The, inter- the inter- in- interesting thing about Shepherd Ferry, when we first approached him about doing a show, he's like, he was so, he was not really that confident that he could pull a show off on his own. So we ended up putting him with another artist. And, and surprisingly, the other artist sold more art than Shepherd did, just because. It kind of fit with the sort of Sacramento rock and roll kind of blue collar hot rod thing more than Shepherds did was a bit more cerebral because it was still very political at that point. It was kind of strange that we we met him really when he was just on the upswing. You know, he he was heavily committed to developing his business rather than being a lone artist doing like advertising work as well as his street art to for him to say oh well i'm not really confident i can fill the space can you put me with somebody else and then and it wasn't until the third show we'd like to just do a solo show we, we picked him just because we really like the art a lot of galleries you know like maybe find, discover and then follow their career through and ride the coattails that's one way of doing it that was never our intention but that's kind of what happened with us and shepherd and and some other artists that we we picked up that had never had like serious gallery shows before. So when you brought him back for the pop up, it kind of blew me away. I was like, oh, good, Craig's back. And I'm like, if if anyone's going to bring him to town, it's going to be you. I and mean, now we have the big mural that you, you can't really go through Midtown without looking up and seeing right. the Johnny Cash image. Yeah, I mean the way that that pop up show, we John and I were proposing going down to LA to propose a show to Shepard and we had actually another space in mind. We got we got down to LA and they said, well, you know, we can't, and we were talking about doing a show in October and uh, he said, well, we can't do a show in October. We're going to be in Russia, but we're going to be in Sacramento in September. And it was like five weeks away. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, you know, you, I remember it just it showed up really fast. Yeah, you just don't say you just don't say no to an opportunity like that. So we went ahead and said, "Yeah, well, let's let's do that." And he said, "But the space that you're showing us is way too big. Um, it's going to have to be smaller." And we found another space and another gallery space, actually another gallery, and they had just opened up and they'd only really had one show. And and 
some head butting went on and some egos got involved, basically shut us down. And we had five days to find another space. Fortunately, we had a really good relationship with the guys at Get A Clue and they, when they found out what had happened, they said, hey, well, we're going to open the space. It's just an empty shell right now. And you've got, you know, two, two weeks to do whatever you want with it. And it, it just all fell together. I mean, those guys are awesome. Of course, it worked great because they sell Obey clothing. They had Shepherd. I mean, they got photographs of Shepherd in their space before it turned into a retail space. And, you know, it was just, it, it was great. The energy was incredible. Great for everybody. I had a lot of my students yeah. actually going in there. And then I inundated you with flom flyers. Yeah, yeah. And then I then I was hearing about that. They're like, wait a minute, you have flom flyers? And it's like, yes, I right. had Greg for years. Yeah, you got to get the marrow out of the bone, huh? <laughs> We ran into Aaron Winters there. Okay. So every time I see Aaron, I, I hand him a flom flyer and have him hold it and I take a picture. <laughs> so I, I know he's getting annoyed with this because I just saw him like a month ago. And, oh, hi, Aaron. Here, hold this. <laughs> this weekend, the largest record store in the known world, Tower Records, Columbus and Bay in San Francisco, super discounts to only $2.88, the fabulous new stereo album by Blue Cheer. <laughs> It's Blue Cheer's latest album, Outside Inside, loaded with 12 tracks and only 288 in stereo at Tower Records, Columbus and Bay. Also, for only 288 in stereo, you take home the brand new album by the Chambers Brothers. Shout, but that's not all. continues the sellout sale of the brand new Jefferson Airplane album called Crown of Creation. It's in stereo. It costs only $2.88. You get them all right now at Tire Records, Columbus and Bay, where 45s are three for only $2. And you can shop every night of the year until midnight. Go get them! So, Solomon's. Yeah. A lot of people know of Tower Records. What they don't know is that it came from Sacramento. And there's all these little locations in town that have been repurposed as other buildings. And you got involved, uh, again, near where your other place was, uh -huh. downtown, in doing a mural restoration and a gallery. So what happened with that? What's going on? And why do we want to go eat the Jewish food? Well, okay, so <laughs> give credit where credit's due. John and I were involved in the mural um, restoration. The uh, Sacramento Metropolitan's Art Commission was involved. It had three members of M5 Arts who was involved in uh, Art Street and Art Hotel. And on the restoration, Sumas R. Colts, Francisco Gamez, and Sean Berner. And uh, Sophie Aronson was coming to town to help restore her father's work because the, the original uh, mural was done by Mitchell Aronson and Frank Carson, who spent a summer painting the mural, and they did a lot of promotional stuff. And the cool, that was one of the cool things with Tower. You could always get calendars, you could get magazines, you could get all these just cool things by just hanging out there. Right. And the other thing, too, is if you look at the if when you go into the deli, the actual there's wallpaper, which shows some of the old tower calendars on the wall. And then if you use the you go up in the lift to the second floor, there's old Pulse magazine covers, and including there's one um, one with uh, the Deftones on it. And Abe Cunningham from the Deftones is actually one of the partners in the in the business. So it's all it all ties in, you know. So it's it's pretty cool, but they did a fantastic job, and and they did it roughly around the time of the mural project, but it wasn't really part of the of the wide open walls either. So it it was totally an independent thing. 
Now, um, the reason that that's a so, that mural is so special is that was the sixth tower record store in the whole world. So it was num basically number six. But the, the thing that's really, really special about it, especially for us, is upstairs was the art department for tower records. Oh, that's where, okay. That's where it was. And Russ used to hang out there. It was his favorite place to hang out. So the guys were making all those posters that you remember, you know, like all of those billboards that you used to see. They were all produced up in the upstairs there. So and one half of the upstairs was the rare books department, basically all the really high-end books that Tower sold. And on the other side was the art department. And so it really does tie into being, I mean, it's perfect for an art exhibition space. Russ was a huge art collector. Oh, yeah. He was a, photo he was a photographer. And when you go to the top of the stairs, there's actually a full-length picture of him at the top of the stairs. And it's in black and white. So John and I took a photo with it, like a selfie, and then I converted it to black and white. And it looks like you're standing with him. I mean, I met him several times, and um, it, it's a perfect, you know, pose for him because he was a pretty jolly guy you know but um yeah so the one thing that russ solomon said that new zealand the sorry that sacramento always lacked was a good jewish deli so uh the golden group who are the people that are responsible for solomon's deli got together with russ and and basically worked out the things that he wanted on on a deli menu and that's basically what the business is based on and the fact that it's in a old tower records it's a deli it's just and then there's the art department upstairs where we're showing art and yeah, it's working out. It's working out pretty well. It's a grand opening store-wide sale. Tower Records and Video is now open on Florin Road across from the Florin Mall. Get BASF blank videotapes just $4.95 or Sony's high-grade videos only $5.95. BASF Audio Chrome 90s 195 and Sony Audio 90s just $2.77 per tape. Right now at Tower Video, all video rentals just 99 cents. Plus, register to win a new 86 Toyota truck from Florin Road Toyota. It's a grand opening sale at Tower Records and Tower Video on Florin Road. Well, there was Tower Records in San Francisco, but the one in San Mateo and Tower Book, that was like a second home. My wife worked at Tower Books long before I met her. My friend Sam used to do the um, styrofoam cutouts. He's down in Hollywood now working for Warner Brothers as a director. He did The Killing Joke. Okay. He, went, he once did, a, for a zine I was doing in college, he did a cover that was covered with Tower Records uh, rubber stamps. Well, I, I when I moved to Sacramento, I, I lived on Broadway, and so the, our Tower Records hangout was Tower Video Books Records on Broadway. Like And, um, yeah, like I rented thousands of videos from Tower Video. I bought books from Tower Books, and, you know, and that was just like the normal th place to go. And then you ate at the Tower Cafe, and you went to the Tower Cinema. I mean, I know they're not related to the business, but I mean, the original drugstore was there where Russ started selling, you know, singles and sheet music in the drugstore that his dad owned. So that's where it all started. So it's good to see you back putting on shows. What's the show going on right now? Right now we're doing, um, co-curated it with, well, actually, uh, Mike Blanchard from Rust Magazine. He's the editor and publisher of, Rust magazine. He's worked with a lot of really good photographers over the years, and he's pretty good himself. And he just wanted to really put a, a photography show together. When the space came up, he really wanted to do it there because, you know, of Russ's being a photographer, and nearly everybody that's in the arts in this town is probably 
worked at Tower at some point in their life, you know. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so yeah. we just, you know, we've done two two photography shows. I mean, the first photography show we did was a, a classic rock photography show, and that was an homage to to Russ, you know. So there was, you know, original photographs of you know Hendrix and John, we had Johnny Cash at Folsom Prison and the Beatles, and and you know, I was thinking all of the artists that were on the wall probably made Russ and Tower Records a lot of money over the years indirectly, you know, and so. It was it was pretty nice, but then it's, the second show happened to be photography, which is really not Toy Room's bag, but it still fit, and the timing was right because we were going to do something with Russ Magazine regardless because we've, we've always really liked what they've been doing. And it, we are a kind of blue-collar hot rods, skateboards, you know, punk rock, surfing, tattoo gallery. So we had a relationship with them. And um, the next show is going to be, it's a street artist and a fine art body painter. So it's going to be getting back to more like what we used to do. Because you were working with artists, you were working with spray paint stuff when no one else was paying attention to it. Fawn covers all forms of art. I don't care what it is. If it's new, I'm going to cover it. Uh, I've had street performers. I've had comedians. And so I, I called up one of my students who's literally playing a guitar as if he's in Led Zeppelin. And I'm like... Bring your aunt, we're going to do something. <laughs> yeah. We're just going to throw him up there and see what he does. And uh, if I can light the place, I will. But someone asked me to do a talk, and I was like, okay, I'm not doing a normal talk. Right. Uh, and I think we need more of that in this town. Um, I'm going to do a guitar and harmonica solo. I can't play either instrument, but I'm going to do it anyway, right? <laughs> All right, Dutch. This is the warden. Give up. And I will meet any demands you men have. Except the vibrators. Dutch Falcone. See, like, there's a, there's a another person, right, where teenage boy decides he's going to put a big band together and do shows and makes it happen. I mean, it, and it's hugely popular. So you never know, like, anybody that's in doubt about giving something a go, like putting an event on, they should have a go. And why? Because at the, at the very least, you'll appreciate how hard it is to, for other people to put stuff on that you want to go to or you don't want to go to because you think it's lame. Just start, get over that hump, and it's not lame. It's like hard work, and you should, if it's a remotely interesting, you should go and support it. And now, a classic track off the Crime Boss Hootenanny LP. Dutch Falcone Orchestra, recorded in Sacramento, 1998. Not drunk, but been drinking. You'll keep your yap turned low. The short list's pride, small town heartaches, and saccharine tongues, thick beer hall eloquence. One more shit. I'm a full hour late now. Here's one of the boys who gave up the ghost and fell and wonder their wives who own them like stock and barrel. We're sorry that the sideshow frightened you, son. We really should be leaving, but my songs, they ain't done. They scratched me off the chalkboard, but I'm grandfathered in. I really should be splitting, but my dodge is pinned in. Yeah, I'm sorry to disturb you there at the social club and all, but I'm over here with all those and guess who just walked in? Julio and that crazy chick. 
candy shanty town chic Sugar tits, blue-eyed candy, lily white cheek Arachnid orange with low lipstick as modious Tear the roofs off the city, cause girl, it's a gas <laughs> Tongues and beer hall eloquence. One more, shit, one more for everyone. Here's one to the boys who gave it their all, and one to their wives, and one for me. Copies of the original unopened Dutch Falcone Orchestra Crime Boss Hootenanny album on genuine compact discs are available for a limited time at the Flam Limited Edition De Flammers store. Snag your own copy at flam.us/commerce. Chunks of Radio Flam, founded 1923. Radio Flam, unlike anything out there. Well, Maybe as far as podcasts go, but to be honest, what we're doing isn't even new. And while that's intentional, we're just copying 20th century radio. So, Steve Mahalo's going to take a break from editing all of this, but just for one day, just to talk about how old tech can make things totally new when placed in the right context. And since this is going to be a flom thing, there will be other flomists on hand, an opening act, and... Fuck anything we can think of to make this a little bit cooler of an event. But if you're interested in making new from old and how all of this can be used to inspire our next generation to do things they've never thought possible, learning old skills using new tools available today, then come to the Sacramento Hacker Lab at 2533 R Street at 6.30 p.m. on Wednesday, October 16th. And we guarantee Mahalo will say... Some things that you might want to hear. Waiter! Waiter! Still, did you have a seated for service? I'm going to call the manager. Take it easy, Walt. What's mostly wrong is your grouch. I'm sorry, Phil, but my digestion is so upset. What you may need for your poor digestion is something that works after nature's own order. Try Carter's Little Liver Pills. Get them at any drugstore. Only 25 cents. <laughs> I know what it is to be broken and be bold And tell you that my silver is gold Though I'm much too old for make-believe And I know what it's like to be hold and not be held Funny how a stomach confed See if satisfied Cause it's swelling, swollen And you, you caught me Shooting 
across the sky like a star But nobody told me To never let it get too far You see my silhouette So you're standing scared of me I can't be a singular expression of myself. There's too many parts, too many spaces, too many manifestations, too many lines, too many curves, too many ways, too many journeys. Talia Poydras has a history of artistic talent across multiple disciplines. In the last two years, she has fully realized her calling for music and has been in pursuit ever since. She encounters great support and collaboration within the Sacramento community. You might know her as Tommy Phoenix, her musical persona. Tommy Phoenix is streamable on all music sharing platforms. The social climate that we have now, especially with like the way that social media is working, you have to do something that makes you stand out from everybody else. Otherwise, you get lost in the sea of like hundreds of thousands of creators and like we're discouraged like every day, <laughs> like literally every day because like um, I always feel like I'm like a beginner at everything that I'm doing. So when I run into mistakes when I'm like producing, because I, I right now I'm trying to like I write for myself, I self-produce, and I sing for myself, and I do everything. So it's like a like a one-person show. And um, when I'm not good at one of those things, or I run into a mistake trying to do one of those things usually like production wise or like composition wise um it makes me feel like inadequate so what was the question i'm starting to think about how bad i feel about myself when I was little and that's, that's how I first started off was they would give us these prompts um, in school with like vocabulary words that we had to use in a story and then I would create like an entire story based off of those vocabulary words and I used to think they were so fire. I was like my story is the best out of everybody else's story. So I kind of just been doing it naturally like my whole life telling stories and writing out how I feel because it's it was hard to like talk to my parents about stuff and hard to just talk to people in general about how it's Some of them really like to keep to themselves, 
but then there's also like these pockets of like insane creativity where everybody's within everybody's project and that's like the most beautiful thing that I've ever seen. And yes, I'm a mess, but I'm blessed to be stuck with you. Sometimes it gets unhealthy. We can't be by ourselves. We will always need each other. And yes, I'm a mess. I think finally, like, allowing myself to do what I want to do and, like, fully accepting that this is what I have to do, otherwise, I'm going to be unhappy. That's probably, like, my biggest accomplishment. I just want you to know that. I'd swear I'd go back Make everything up better Going places, going places, going places, going places Keep on trucking Say, we're only 20 miles from Reno. I'll be glad to take you there. Thanks, buddy. Yes, sir. It's the biggest little city in the world. You're giving me a lot to think about. <laughs> I'm going off to teach my history class today. So my name is Amanda Horn. I'm the Senior Vice President of Communications for the Nevada Museum of Art. The Nevada Museum of Art is a surprise, I think, to many people. We are a medium-sized museum that's based in Reno. We've been around since 1931, and we have really grown and evolved as our community has evolved. Tell me about the building, because when I saw it, I fell in love with yeah, it. Yeah, so the current building of the Nevada Museum of Art was... Um, built in 2002. It's designed by architect Will Bruder, who is based in Phoenix. And Will really designed a building that would be, would speak to the landscape. And so if you look actually at a profile picture of the Nevada Museum of Art, and then you take an image of a black rock in the black rock desert, and you juxtapose it on top of it, they are almost identical. It's really quite remarkable. It has uh, the same sort of shape and feeling. And even if you don't know that, you get the sense when you see it that it belongs there. It, it is very modern, but it's modern in a way that is true to the landscape. The uh, Shrem and Minetti Museum actually took a similar approach. Their colors and everything are, are basically the sunset and the colors you see in the sunset. Oh, that's cool. It's, all, it's a Frank Lloyd Wright approach, if you think about it. Absolutely. And I mean, I think in the case of our building, um, that even is true for the material that coats the building. So it's a black building. It uses a zinc material on the outside so that it would really, again, speak to these black rock formations that jet out of the, the surrounding desert. Let's talk about Georgia O'Keeffe. Well, Georgia O'Keeffe is truly one of the most famous artists of the 20th century. Um, but I think that we have collectively very narrow understandings of her. You know, we associate her with the Southwest, New Mexico, because she lived really the second half of her life there. Uh, we also associate her with flowers. Flowers, yes. Yeah, we associate her with flowers and we associate her with the desert. But this exhibition... It originated at the Brooklyn Museum, but we are the only venue west of Kansas City 
to host the exhibition, which is a little bit ironic whenever you think of the time, really, the second half of a lifetime that Georgia O'Keeffe spent in New Mexico. Uh, but this exhibition for, helps us understand why she is so famous. She was really really excelled at controlling her image. And that's something you learn in this exhibition. Now she was married for many, for more than 20 years to Alfred Stieglitz, who's the godfather of photography. Um, he founded camera work. Um, he photographed her um, significantly. And actually because of his portraits of her, she is one of the most photographed women of the 20th century. I like to say uh, photography was, it really came into its own when Stewart showed up. It did. Because it was just like, okay, we're, we're just trying to get an image to stay, <laughs> to develop, mm -hmm. to print. Yeah. And then he turned it into art. He did. Yeah. I mean, he, he definitely um, helped to define photography as an art form. He started what was called the photo secession movement beyond advocating for photography and being a photographer himself as his chosen medium to express his art practice. He was a gallerist yeah. and he was very smart in that regard. And when he ran into Georgia O'Keeffe's work, it was at the time she was teaching um, in West Texas. She was an art teacher in West Texas. He had seen her work and he fell in love with it. He invited her to come uh, really for a sabbatical in New York and be able to take a break from teaching and make art uh, for a year because he thought that if he gave her the place to do it without having to worry about making a living, she would really excel at it, um, which was true. And also they fell in love. Um, and he moved into his stu her studio that he had given her and actually, because he was married at the time and it still took six years before he divorced his wife and they were actually married. So that was kind of the beginning of their uh, tumultuous love affair. He was 20 years her senior as well. So he was much older than her, but um, Stieglitz used the portraits that he took of Georgia O'Keeffe to promote her work. So before she was known as a famous artist and a painter in her own right. She was known as a model for the camera because people recognized her. She sat so often. St what she learned from sitting for the camera for Stieglitz when he passed on and she began to sit for other photographers, she had was able to take that parts that she liked and really um, then add in her own vocabulary, if you will, and dismiss parts that she uh, wanted to do away with, like some of the overly feminized vocabulary that Stieglitz would use for her to sit, which she dismissed of later in her life. But she knew how to control the camera and she understood what that meant. And that is something I did not recognize. Really, I didn't understand at all until this exhibition came. And I was like, oh, that makes so much sense. Today, we call this a personal brand. There yeah. wasn't a word for that at the time, <laughs> but she was a master at controlling her personal brand. Um, and so we've, we've been joking around saying like before there was Madonna, before there was Lady Gaga, there was Georgia O'Keeffe. I mean, she was really, really good at it. And that's why she became successful in her lifetime, uh, which was not easy to do as an artist, let alone as a woman artist. And she really worked hard to transcend those gender identifications. Everyone talks about the flowers and she had a lid on that. It's like, well, what, what are these flowers really? Mm -hmm. And the reaction is that they're obviously vaginas, but she made sure that that message did not get out. That's right. Because for her, she painted a flower up close because she wanted people to see a flower. And that's what she would often say. She was like, I want New Yorkers, because at the time she was living in New York, to stop and really look at a flower and to see a flower. 
And that's why she painted it close. But this, it's interesting that you brought that up because this sort of hypersexualized interpretation of her work was the way that East, East Coast modernism, which Stieglitz helped to define, okay, Stieglitz had a role in this, um, was very much uh, aligned with the sort of Freudian identification about sexuality in the human body. And Stieglitz was very convinced that if you could get if you could pry open a woman's mind which he really thought that art could do that you would understand the inner workings of a woman um he was obsessed with this and we actually i learned a bit of that in the earlier the exhibition that we organized last year on photographer ann brigman who had a long time correspondence with stieglitz because we see similarities he really tried to sexualize her work she said nope I'm, that's not what this is i'm not going to let you interpret my work that way or promote it that way and um in many ways, that's why she became such an obscure figure, because she was very adamant about how her work would be perceived. She didn't care for it to be um, interpreted in ways that were not authentic to her being. And so we see this a lot. And O'Keefe, I think, let some of it go to her wisdom because she was smart and she was in love with Stieglitz. She had a deep respect for him as, a, as an artist and as her husband. Um, but they had differences. You know, they I think they had a lot of differences in the way that they approached the world. Um, and you know, there, she spent many summers in New Mexico and he never, ever, ever went to New Mexico uh, with, so he never visited there and she started going there as her place of respite um, long before he ever passed on. So there's a lot to dig into in the story there, which you go through the exhibition, then you'll, you'll start to eke out pieces. And there's that. a beautiful catalog too. There's a really beautiful catalog that was written by the curator. Her name is Wanda Korn. Um, she spent many years researching Georgia O'Keeffe. She got to interview Georgia O'Keeffe um, before she passed on in the early 80s. And she interviewed many of the seamstresses who worked on O'Keeffe's clothes. And so that's another component of this exhibition, which makes it really so fascinating, is that for the first time, you also see her wardrobe, the way that she styled herself. So in the early years, she sewed her own clothes. It was not atypical for Victorian women to sew their own clothes. Every, women learned how to sew, but she was really, really good at it. And she um, was extremely talented in, in ways that make her really a master seamstress, but she was very definitive about her style. So she did not uh, like a lot of frills and excesses and ruffles. She stuck to what she liked, what she thought flattered her. You see a V-neck. Um, a V-line, you see a little pin tuck uh, as a very simple, beautiful aesthetic choice. You see a high tie, you see her adaptation of an Asian collar, um, the high kind of Chinese collar, and then later influenced by the kimono, and you'll see those adaptations. Um, but she never veered from it, you know, and I think what's really fascinating um, you also see later when she was could pay people to make her clothes and she was still controlling the design. And you see these lines and these forms repeated in her painting. You can see them appear in the photographs. It's You can really see that she, her life was very disciplined and she made choices that were in service to this minimalist aesthetic beauty. And I think to me, that's what's so fascinating is that she was so... Um, sure of who she was and so about the way that she portrayed that to the world and how she wanted them to be defined and i and she did not waver so i wandered into the museum and i didn't know about jack yeah and i identified with his work i fell in love with his show and just took a bunch of photos which i'll have out on the blog wandered yeah. to the front desk and started talking to them about jack and uh, discovered he went to ccac 
now CCA because they dropped the craft. So I started recognizing influences of Wolfgang Weingart and a lot of the graphic designers from the period because I'm a graphic designer. Yeah, so Jack Malott is probably one of the most significant artists working in the Great Basin today. Um, but Jack is, he'll go into, you know, maybe more screen printing or more sketching uh, for a bit. And then kind of just, he meanders and he describes this himself that he's meandered in a lot of his life through different styles. What really got me of his work is I, I see a lot of the kids today who are pulling from the past and it's like, you gotta see Jack's show because that's, that's the stuff you're looking at inspire, to inspire your work. Yeah. Um, and Jack um, would use his skills to uh, do a lot of posters for environmental movements and so in activism. And that's kind of where he moved from being a native artist, quote unquote, if you will, to an artist that spoke more broadly to a wide range of issues and that people would call upon to uh, to do uh, different posters or different flyers for their, or create logos even for the campaigns that they were doing. And part of the reason why you see that, I mean, yes, Jack was trained as a graphic designer, but he worked for a magazine. He worked for a newspaper. You know, he has this range of skills that he's been able to apply in various facets. He toured shows early on in the 80s. Um, he had his taste of the art world and he really didn't like it. So he just kind of said, you know what, this isn't worth it for me. Like I, it doesn't bring me joy. It doesn't, it's, this is not what I want to do. And really um, for the past 25 years now of his life, he's lived in Duckwater, which is a, it's a, res, it's a Shoshone reservation um, in the far Eastern part of Nevada. It's about five hours from everywhere. And uh, <laughs> But he loves the calm and the security that it brings him. And you can really see in this, in the Duckwater time, it, his work has really dug deep into the landscape because that's what he's surrounded by every day. And also he's just maturing it as a person. And as we mature, maybe some of the angst that we have when we're younger does not carry with us as we get older. And so it's not that we get softer, but it's just what we focus our energy on changes. And that's what has kind of said, um, you'll see things that he's done whenever he's been angry or frustrated versus what he does in the landscape. And they have very different qualities. I love the way he captures lightning. For instance, his lightning is just extraordinary. Oh yeah. It's extraordinary. And it um, just the quality that he's able to bring to that is it's haunting. But the other thing that he does great, Jack has a very wry sense of humor. And so he's able to take serious issues and uh, use satire in his art in a way that is palatable. And, and you can um, get past sort of the things that might be more off-putting if you came out at it in a different way. But because he uses humor, he can get Native people to laugh and, and think about the issue seriously, as well as white people and others to go, oh, yeah, you know, we can look at these. I mean, for instance, he has one that's it's a very haunting image. It's a car accident. You know, it's a it's a wreck. And above it, there's a billboard that says powwow beer. And you can see that. I mean, you know, because alcoholism is a big issue for indigenous peoples. That's one example. He has um, deals with atomic testing which has been a big part of the story in Nevada, especially um, where, you know, duck, duck water is just a few miles, like maybe 50 miles from the Nevada test site, land rights and ownership issues. Uh, and then sort of just being a contemporary 
native person um, kind of stuck in between these worlds. You know, he has one that he calls his favorite. It's hard to be traditional when you're all plugged in and you can see um, these things that he wrestles with in his head. For all the latest tours, exhibitions and happenings at the Nevada Museum of Art, Reno, please visit nevadaart.org. The Georgia O'Keeffe and Jack Malott shows close this weekend, October 20th. Meet Stephen and Emily. Married, childless, arguably boring. Both of them are workaholics, and at night they both aspire to be artists. Several years ago, they watched their mothers die at a very young age. This shocked them into putting their whole lives in perspective. Midlife crisis took hold. Upon reflection, they realized the futility of this rat race. They left Silicon Valley and headed north, eventually settling down in Vancouver, Washington. But changing where you live does not change who you are, and they found that their projects kept them stuck at their desks. It is too bad they did not realize that they could make an art project out of meeting their neighbors and exploring the place where they live. Steve and Emily Wishman present. People of Vancouver, Washington. Ooh, if Vancouver had a motto, it would be... Oh, that's interesting, isn't it? <laughs> hmm. If Vancouver had a motto, it would be best farmer's market around. Across the bridge from weird. <laughs> so many people give a shit. Everybody loves sunshine, I'm a man. Everybody, everybody needs vitamin D. The up-and-coming city of the Northwest. Come hang out and eat natural food. You know, that's, that's what everybody does here, so. I think the thing I care about the most is having waterfront access. Uh, plastic reduction. I don't know why that, like, came out, like... <laughs> Um, we really enjoy being outdoors, so all kinds of activities, the parks, I uh, love the libraries for the little guys. I guess just the atmosphere, the really family feeling you get here in Vancouver. The people. Just genuine, happy, um, caring people. That everybody's happy. And that we give love to everybody. Everybody needs to be happy. Right now would be the waterfront. Well, my favorite place in Vancouver is the new waterfront area. Thatcher's Coffee House. Um, the number one place would be my home. I was thinking more events like this in the parks and this more events to get the community together. Probably involving people and small businesses more. Um, we can get more community events going on. More affordable housing here in Vancouver would be nice. Integrating a bit more plants around the city, like a little more foliage. I wish we could be more kind to each other. Oh my goodness. Capitalism.
America. Oh, Catwoman? Do you like cats? <laughs> uh, Black Panther because Wakanda forever. Who's your favorite superhero? Batman. <laughs> My favorite superhero is Wonder Woman. I mean, what? come on. <laughs> Have you seen how high she can jump? You know, it's, it's impressive. My superhero is my dad, Jesse Magania. Uh, he loved the city of Vancouver and he was a huge advocate for people with disabilities and um, the Hispanic community as well. Miss you, Dad. Curious. Passionate. Kind. Smiley. Enthusiastic. Loving. Interesting. <laughs> Okay, that's it. Okay, cool. Awesome. For more of Steve and Emily Wishman's Meet Your Neighbors Community Art Project, People of Vancouver, Washington, head to Instagram.com slash People of Vancouver WA. Don't eat the flop. This is Radio You are listening to Radio Flop. Dang it. Ayotunde Kairi Ikuku is 23 years old. They work at the Gender Health Center of Sacramento as a social worker, activist, and organizer who believes in intersectionality, being true to yourself, and using your voice to speak out. As someone that is involved in the community when it comes to activism and organizing, whether it be against police brutality or state section violence against my immigrant brothers and sisters or against my trans siblings, it gets really tiring and we're constantly told that we're too angry or that we have to move this way, we have to move that way, and the goalposts just keep being created and keep being moved. If you're not willing to take risks and to be attacked or to be marginalized when it comes to your art, whatever that may be, then you're someone that's probably more of a consumer or outsider because in order to be a creative you have to you have to take risks like it's intrinsic it's intrinsic to that like area of being i think being educated is for those who have the privilege to be educated is something that we can use as a tool and weaponize it against like white supremacy and any other things any other structures or systems that are like trying to break us down it's something that I intentionally weaponize. Um, it's why I'm involved in social work and activism and organizing and I'm studying sociology so I can use it to dismantle a lot of these things that exist and further assist people. For us to be in California and Sacramento, supposedly one of the most progressive places in this nation and one of the most progressive cities, I don't see much progression. I, I want to assume better of this council, but actions and certain endorsements illuminate a corrupted reality. Sacramento does not do a good job of taking care of its most needy individuals. People are unhoused, people are being killed by police at a disproportionate rate. People are sick and can't afford healthcare. There's just so many things going wrong. And a lot of creativity comes from people who are in pain. The people who 
make time to even come and speak to the council and try to get things resolved who have been coming for years saying the same thing and you can even see videos of them doing it it just gets sad to see someone be so worn over so much just asking for something that shouldn't have to be asked for if you don't push schubert to convict and if you guys take an action there will be rioting and we know all your names your a lot of your information is public we will make sure that but is that a threat it's not a threat I'm just letting you know that we know who you are, and you're supposed to be a part of this community. Your time. And up. so, in order for us to trust you, thank you. You need to make. You need to take the actions. Thank you. To prove that we should be trusting you, because if you do not, then we will put the pressure on you. Thank and you. you know that, and I can. I can see that you feel the pressure that I'm putting on you. Right. And I am glad that you feel that pressure, because if you don't do what you need to do, you're gonna feel more than just me speaking thank to you. Thank you, sir. Liability. My black skin is a liability. Radical love is loving myself enough to say two words, fuck you. Radical love is trusting my senses when they make me aware that this world is not curated for someone like me. Um, censoring myself and my creativity and and my art is definitely a consideration, but for me, it's more of a consideration of my own humility, because humility is important. But with that said, I think there are certain things that need to be said explicitly and very transparently, and that's how I am as a person outside of my art. Um, if you can separate the two. Like if I could identify as one whole word, it would just be unbound. I've actually been planning to write a piece on this too. I'm unbound, like you can try to impose whatever structure you have for your own reality that you've crafted and that's fine for you. But for me, I'm unbound. There's nothing that you can say to me that's going to make me feel any kind of a way other than how I feel about myself. I stand unapologetically educated enough to co-switch between my peers and my niggas at will. You will get all of me. I don't care if you are choking on my authenticity. Okay. You can swallow me. All of me. Speak Loud Productions got niggas on the beats, y'all. Drop that drums, drop that. One time, going to sing up in the sunshine. We got tum rhymes. I'm coming with fun time. They ain't knowing about my life and my leverage. Coming with the dust of this shit. Ain't got competitors but shadows of my own soul. Sing it. One time, got my spirit, heart, brain, and these lyrics. And it doesn't matter, nigga, in the spot on production. Busta Speak Loud Productions, it's no discussion. 
We just so clouded out on this nine vibe And you couldn't find five or six pieces to rhyme with My syllabatics is mad drastic Scott off the top of this philosophy is so sweet and suitable Like hair tips and cuticle Wednesday, Friday, doesn't matter Any day we do it yours and my way Love couldn't stop anything in this life It's just like a juggernaut when it just barrels all in this life yeah, it's light, moving at vibrating speeds You couldn't connect between the matter and energy It's chi, finally in the beauty of this movie Life so suitable, hair tip tip to cuticle Been a long time, now she sing my song now It don't really matter, writing all my wrongs now Been a long time, now she love the vibe right I ain't tripping on the four or the five right been a long time, she loving all my songs now Doesn't really matter, Zella's about to put it down Been a long time, she loving all my vibe right Pretty this one's for you, my queen, my life, my purpose I used to think it was a name Keep it all the same, styles, it's just a game I'm the same in the eyes of the cosmos As every other man that stands tall Whether you homeless or a CEO I keep it so fresh, I'm nice and priceless Grabbing mic devices once, twice, maybe thrice Shit, I got Miz up on these beats tonight Yeah, that's Miguel and Friends and City of Trees And all them shit style rhyme and time and collaborative And I'm freestyling cause I'm a Sacramento native And you know that we're doing what we're doing It travels like the fluid, I'm so congruent Now can you do this? I'm like a Buddhist Spitting riddles in the middle Got the trumpet blasting with the mute You can hear it in the back Of my spirit and my love for my heart One time, yeah We all aiming for the stars She love my life on the vibe, right? It don't really matter Tripping on the phone for five, right? Coming for my vibe and for my music Zella's going real slow Large like a cruise ship they ain't knowing about my heart or my love now Zealous in the studio, I'm straight throwing dubs down Got the satchels with my man Chris Got my man Jamie in here too We doing this I'm Buddhist, center stage, rocking this Metaphysical apocalypse, you couldn't really be rocking this shit It's off the top of my lips, it's just a freestyle That ain't really as half as wild as me I got my scripted condenser is connected with the XLR to my 18i20 Scarlet unit device I can record drums in real time, 15 channels if I connect my extra Gotta chain my effects, what? You ain't really knowing stress, huh? It's been too long, I'm singing on this vibe, right? I ain't really tripping, man, I'm flopping on the line, right? Loving this vibe, I'm loving Sacramento But don't tell your friends, I don't want them to know about these pencils Moving quickly, so swiftly, up in this city All tides rise when a poet rises and swiftly City, this might be nicely, might keep psyche on fight Three and four, one, five, or six, check the mix, like, what? Like what? What, 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 what? Yo, 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 we got niggas on the beach. My name's MC Zealous. Peace. Hey, do you have any 
What? Do you have any weed? Do you? No, I don't smoke weed. It makes me paranoid. It makes you paranoid? <laughs> yeah. Have you ever tried? Uh, and I'm already answer. paranoid because I do crazy things that I'm we afraid all, of. I think, I think, I think a lot of us find. <laughs> what I'm doing right now, I'm afraid of. Just talking I'm to a, you. I'm on a date. My blood is ice right yeah? now. Yeah? I'm absolutely. Why yeah, do you I, need weed? Why do I need weed? Yeah. Um, Stay high? It's a crutch. It's a crutch. I wouldn't call it an addiction. Well, here. Uh, I was just, oh shit, I'm sorry. I think, is that, yeah. oh, is that, is it's that, is that, is that, is that, is this in bad taste? <laughs> it's a walking like a, stick or, a, or a sushi bar. Or, <laughs> you know, I feel like that's a, that's a Mad Hatter sort of, uh, stick. Yes. like a, what's the difference between I'm a raven and a writing I'm kind of a Dada-ist, so. You think so? It works. Yeah. Dada, or like a, you ever participate in, uh, like, ga- like Gaga? Like a, a Gaga then? Uh, when I was a baby? Gaga. Yeah. As a baby. I think and, we all probably uh, I was a big fan of Queen. I was in the fifth grade when We Will Rock You came out. Uh, have you ever considered trying a uh, an indica... Here, I'm going to give this back to you I now. also killed my voice trying to sing like Freddie. Oh, you can know you when... sing like Freddie? Can I sing? I... You're high. You probably can. I highly did. Good try. That was a test. Highly. Nice pun. I, um... Kylie's over there. Kylie? She's got the Jenner. Jenner? Kylie, Kylie Jenner, Jenner's yes. Yeah, dude. She just walked in. Look, you almost missed her. Yeah. Immediately. Uh, I would, I would say, have you ever considered trying uh, like a, um, like a indica strain, uh, something maybe a little uh, I more. I have CBD oil on my you try CBD. Right that's and perfect. That's fucking work. <laughs> it's not working for no. you. Have CBD you? CBD is bullshit. Yes. You think so? CBD Give is something not something stronger. I think it's oh, a wait, hard. Oh wait, you're asking me for something. Stronger. I think it's a hard. I have to do some Valium. Look, do you want some a juggler. Uh, do, okay. <laughs> do you want to go interview him? I can't juggle. I you can't juggle. Try it, more man. You can do anything. I can jungle. I can jungle. You can jungle. I mean, can you tell? Way harder than juggling. It's, it's, this is the con thing. It's I'm the concrete jungle. I was raised in the. I was raised in the the, the 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 industrial jungle of Sacramento, California. Maybe you've heard of me. Um, what do you do here besides get high? Oh, oh bum and around. Date people. Uh, I, I dance on the sidewalk sometimes. You do? Uh, yeah. d- d- um, Are you the guy with the Jesus sign? Burn money. No, I am Jesus. Oh, oh okay. shit. We have a few of them. Congratulations. Yeah, the president um, is Jesus right now. So, well, we're all the Messiah <laughs> in, in some uh, way, way, shape, way, shape, or form. Okay. Uh, d- you know, I, I think I think CBD is a hard science. I think that they've I think they've sleuthed it out since it became became legal, and they decided white people decided we can profit from this. Maybe we should do a good job. That's of the it. only reason it's, it became legal is to profit from. It. Pr- pr- That's all we do here is welcome profit. to the United States. Yeah. So water's wet, more at eleven. Uh, the sun is up. You um you think that you think that CBD doesn't no help? <laughs> you think you think that it's is, is it all a crock of shit? Do you think? Huh? CBD. CBD? Yeah, do you think... Uh, I don't know. I've seen the x-rays on my back and... Yeah? Uh, yeah, I don't... What's the damage? It's, it's kind of like putting... What's going on? Um, what happened to your back? I don't know. It's it's like solving a bank robbery by blowing a kiss to the guy running past you with the gun. Oh, yeah. You think... Uh, <laughs> That's all I got right kinda now. Kind of like aspirin. Like, yeah, what do they, what do they it's, say? Like, it's re- like looking at a box of aspirin, hoping it works. Yeah. It's just passing it over your head, hoping. It's like, yeah. uh, what did they say? Like rearranging the deck chairs on the the Titanic. Hat on a hat. Okay, or, or uh, the love boat, which I think would be kind of fun. The love. <laughs> wow, that was the sound of a joke going right over my head. Yeah. Did you catch that? I'm older stacked, than you, but you I stacked have my to go hair, study. Like a foot you have tall, to go study the to history of bad television. Yeah, you know, I need to go study in general. <laughs> Captain Stubing. Stay in. You know what? Stay in college, kids. Don't do drugs. <laughs> uh, I, 
I think school is a. If you watch Three's <laughs> Company today, you yeah. will just flip out. I don't. I Mr. Don't think I'm Roper do that. was a curve. I'm sure. I'm sure there was so a. So was of Mr. Them. Furley. I think. He used to dress up as a cop and hang out with a guy named Andy. How did you pick the uh, the colors for your nails? For my nails? How did you pick them? How did um, you come to that? To I that went conclusion? with. Uh, Actually, almost primaries. It's, it was giving, blue, it was, red, and then I have turquoise. The turquoise. Yeah, the turquoise. What I was saying is, it was giving me very um, like Wes Anderson color palette uh, vibes. With the, uh, I look at the stuff he steals from. I can I tell so. you where he got his. Well, I think from. I think everybody like aspires. I think everybody aspires to uh, steal like an artist, but but yeah, uh, yeah, um, yeah. Maybe that's what it's, it's all, all about inspiration. Jared Tharp, do you want to say anything for Radio Flom podcast? Um, How's it going? Because um, I teach history, I see a lot of influences in what you're doing. Oh, really? Ranging oh, cool. even for Skinner. Yeah. I mean, I am a fan of Skinner, but uh, I think I would say that some my main influence is actually like Philip Gustin. I love Philip Gustin and R. Crumb, um, and you know, comic books. Get a Marvel. Marvel Universe Series 3 uh-huh. was cards. I, there, I remember there was a Carnage uh, card that I really liked. I don't even know who the artist was, but I copied it with color pencil and then I gave it to the comic shop that I frequented in, in Stockton called Al's Comics. He had a, his thing was to just post kids drawings on the walls of like superheroes and stuff. I put pegboard over it, but as far as I know, according to him, that drawing that I did when I was like 13 is still up. Go to Al, see Jared's work. Well, you'd have to pull, you'd have to pull back the, the, the pegboard, but yeah, just talk to Al. He still works there. He's an older gentleman. We had a comic book guy down in the Bay Area who looked like Peter Parker, and he was the only store uh, in the area, and he used to rip everyone off. He convinced me to start doing adult content when I was in high school, and I ended up like freaking out all my friends. You just keep figuring it out. I mean, I I don't know what the hell I'm doing, uh, and I am. No I, one does. Trying to embrace that. <laughs> lately, I'm just always trying to. I guess Ma- I'm trying to learn and just try different materials all the time. And yeah, that's it. It's it's really a lot of playing and seeing what gels and what doesn't. Yeah, as long as it's fun. Well, I was thinking about painting just like a giant dick tonight. Yeah, but about you- half the people here have them. Maybe. Uh, maybe. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. Maybe maybe nobody has one tonight. Uh, I, I don't know. That's why, <laughs> well, that's why we get better as we get older. That's what the all about. <laughs> yeah. So what are you up to? I see you. You're photographing the great Kylie Jackson. I am Kylie Jackson. I wanted to explore what she's doing here this evening. I'm fascinated by her artworks. Yeah. And so apparently she is baptizing people or baptizing them hey, in this cool clawfoot tub. How's it going? And my son, Seth Draven, already went through. Uh, And I'm thinking of stripping down, having her baptize me if she wants. Oh! So I thought it'd be better. Okay. But if I get naked, who's going to take my picture in the tub? Right? So... So Refresh wait, my memory because it's getting bad. That's what okay. were you going to do on Radio yeah. Flomp? <laughs> what did I invite you to? Oh, it was a, I think it was at the Noise Fest last year. Oh, okay. And I, I do make a little bit of noise, and I've had major technical problems for the last year, but I just got my computer fixed. This is the person who was screaming on the phone. Oh, sorry. Hey, Radio Flomp. 
What are you doing this time, Kylie? I'm baptizing people. Okay. And someone said you have to get naked. You don't have to get naked. It's Why up not? to the person. What if I want to get naked? Then do it. Okay. It's it's very uh, consent-based baptism. And how does it relate to major religious t- baptism? What's different about this? Uh, the, the show, the spectacle. That's about it. <laughs> But, you know, like this, it sounds like the spirit of horse cow is still alive and well anyway, if you're doing nude baptisms in a tub. The art world comes from the street. That's, That's right. been like the one theme we've been talking about this year. We have our own guy, Carlo, who was painting in in the rain. Actually, that was good practice for him. Yeah, because right, right. He could sell almost anything. Yeah. Last time I talked was the last time I saw Devin. <laughs> I remember that. There's these new flamas then. Alright, so... I don't know, I, I, I think... Oh, the new flamas? Yeah! There's a bunch of them. They're, they're, they're everywhere, yeah. They're everywhere. I was just talking about uh, Tati Art Love. Yeah! Right? Tati Art, um, yeah. She posted uh, like a rare mushroom. Yeah. Like, and I was just like geeking out. I was telling my cousin about it. Um, it's like that white and red like mushroom that you can eat and like trips you out. And it's like she's like the only one I even know that has access to something like that. Yeah, I was just kind of excited about it. Um, what what do you need for your store? Um, effort. <laughs> What's new? Effort and time. We have a store and we can put things up for sale. Okay. We just have been busy with other stuff. Of course. You're always yeah. busy with other stuff. by Dada and there was one point where I was reading up on Dada that their big thing was to put on a show and piss everyone off so they'll leave and that's how they ended the show and I'm like (laughs) we haven't done that yet we've had people get pissed off and leave but it wasn't intentional something happened a few years ago and I'll call it Art Hotel because that's what it was called Uh and it's gone now Right. And then there was uh, Art, Street, Art Street, which yeah. was also really amazing. Mm-hmm. And then all these little angles, and I could be wrong here, lead me to the Red Museum. Right. And I don't know what the connection is there. I know you're one of the founders. Yeah. And there's an energy going on at the Red Museum. I saw it in the Steve Vinoni show. Uh-huh. I see it in the shows that are going on regularly that are not the same that has been sort of the status quo of the art scene in Sacramento. Yeah. Kyle Mitzel, one of the founders of Red Museum Sacramento. A lot of that has to do with Jen Jackson, who was the founder and kind of the figurehead of of the space, and she was part of M5. Yeah. Um, So she helped with some of the facilitating of Art Street and Art Hotel. Um, And then her boyfriend, Brett, kind of helps cater the the stuff that goes on in the space, and Mm -hmm. we try to bring that vibe like it's not so it's not just like a regular music show yeah it's you know not. it's 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 an experience in itself whether it's art or performance or dance or or you know just weird type of shit that goes on you know and it's great yeah yeah, yeah. and so um because the talent's there it's just it's just like reaching out and letting people like breathe and and have space to like create things that they wouldn't be able to otherwise you know I could go on and on Fool's Foundation was shut down (laughs) for 
violations and things like that. Well, we were too at one point. Yeah. Yeah, so. I mean, the city shut us down for a good six months as well until we got all of our electrical work redone. Yeah, yeah. so that stuff comes up. It was it was actually, the way you guys reopened, it was like, wow, that never happens here. Right. And then we've been talking to, like, there's different art groups throughout, throughout town. Uh-huh. And, like, uh, we had one episode where Andrew Defy was talking about uh, how busking was being shut downtown. And now we seem to have a mayor who is pushing a lot of this stuff aside. And right. he even has a guy to deal with bureaucracy. Yeah. Yeah, he's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it's kind of like a catch-22 as well, because, like, we want to provide this type of service for the city. Mm-hmm. But we're also conscious of, like, how it affects the culture of the city itself too yeah. like with gentrification and you know even like wide open walls and all the murals and stuff like it's it's good and beautiful but there's another side to it and trying to be conscious of like how are we affecting that are we being inclusive are we thinking of these things you know like yeah you did these parties and they're not your normal art parties that you would see like at the Crocker right. or any of the other places. Yeah, well, like Brett set up the museum party, which was based on Glenn O'Brien's old TV party episodes on PBS, uh, where it's a party that's a show that's a party. And basically like back in the day, they would live broadcast it on PBS yeah. with different musicians and artists like interacting just to kind of create this weird experience for, for people who wouldn't like know to show up at these types of places basically. Um, so this last, uh, or I guess it's been a couple months now, but we did the second one and just to try to create that vibe, like where it's, you know, people can come and just have fun and dress up and like see cool art, live art going on, listen to good music. And it just gives like, I mean, the whole idea of the space is it gives musicians and artists a, a platform to show their work where, you know, they're not going to book like Harlow's or Ace of Spades or, yeah. Um, you know, so it gives them time to like build up to those those venues um, and be able to have an audience that's ultra appreciative of the experience itself too. Yeah, yeah. There's because uh, it's just artists watching artists, basically. You know, really? for the most yeah. part, it's yeah. a bunch of artists yeah. hanging out. So you're getting crowds, which is this sort of complaint about Sacramento. People don't go out, but you right. are getting crowds. Was right. it always like that? No. Or has yeah. it? I mean, we had hit and miss nights, like yeah. Buddy Hale, who runs uh, the Library of Music Lander, was part of the space, and he started doing some music shows there, and mm-hmm. then Brett was also doing booking. And some of the bigger performances, we'd have, you know, larger crowds, but when we were first starting, sometimes it'd be like, you know, these great bands show up, and like 20 people are here. Um, you know, so we started, like, cutting back on the number of, you know, especially with the stuff that happened with the city, we started cutting back on the number of shows that were... Uh, happening so that we could have more impactful events, you know, more thoughtful, more creative, instead of just, you know, here's three bands on a playbill. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, it's sad, too, because <laughs> some of these people are touring from, like, yeah. you know, out of city, and, like, we, we give them all the door, you know, like, it's yeah. not, we're not there to make money, essentially, and, like, you know, when you don't have anything to pass along, you know, for their time and creativeness, it's, it's, it's tricky. The ones who are really in it for the money... Over the years, I notice it starts to catch up to them. The ones who are really in it because they love it, maybe there'll be money as a byproduct. Maybe, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I put on one event that everyone loved it so much, we made a shitload in tips. Yeah. And then I, I did another one, and no one loved it, and we didn't make a shitload in tips. Yeah. So it's, it's really hit or miss here. But 
Well, kind of like what you're doing with Flom. I mean, for the first two years, we're just, I mean, we're just paying to work there, basically. Yeah. You know, and like have the space and be able to create. But there was, I mean, even to this day, there's not, Yeah. you know, it's not financially viable. And I think that's why a lot of those like, you know, good locations in the past have gone under is they've tried to become established, tried to become profit bearing or pay their employees, et cetera. And it's just, it's just not feasible. That's the whole setup here. You know, unless you have a bar and you're just selling drinks all night, you know. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we're we're trying to figure that out. You want to plug anything that's coming up? Yeah, we have a couple um, shows coming up this month. We have the Moving Van um, on the nineteenth, October nineteenth. Um, Moving Van Comedy Show is doing their end of year performance there on the twenty sixth, I believe. For our movie night, we're watching Haxon. and Tyler from the band Tentacult has put together like a full score for it. Um, which should be really fun. Yeah. Silent, right? Yeah, it's a silent film. Yes. So he's put together like this full synth they just score. just started following me or I started following them. Yeah. And then uh, Devin uh, McMines, who wrote our uh, Christmas play last year, and mm-hmm. myself, uh, just a murder mystery play for February based off of Amy Crocker and all of her husbands and like doings and Aleister Crowley, um, where the audience will be able to interact and try to discover like who murdered who. You, you're going to have a twist on it. It's not going to be the regular. Oh, yeah, there's going to be different endings for both nights. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's not yeah, going to be dinner gonna be really dark, and it's perfect yeah. for February because it's like season of love, and we're going to just bring murder to the scene, you know? Oh, so. good. <laughs> Hopefully no one will be murdered. Or, well, I don't want to get into that. Yeah, I mean, not, not literally <laughs> murdered, but yeah. Um, <sighs> but yeah, we've got some really good people involved with that, um, which I'm really excited about. And then... I think I think we're gonna try to do another holiday or Christmas show this year too. It won't be the How the Grinch Stole Christ, but some kind of uh, weird play Something, on the holiday we too. We need that here. Yeah. We really do. Right. And uh, <laughs> Sacramento can have this wonderful reputation. Yeah. And I think you guys are at ground zero for that. Well, thank you. Yeah. I mean, I mean, for us, it's just it's just like I mean, we feel just as lucky as the people who attend. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like. You know, the whole vibe of Red Museum would, would be nothing without the people who do stuff there. Yeah. You know, the, the artists who come through or the musicians who come through because there's so much ingenuity. Like, I mean, I could name off a hundred people that have just like completely contributed to the overall experience there. Um, yeah, I mean, and that's, and that's kind of what it is. I mean, and speaking of churches, like that's where it comes from. Like <laughs> yeah. the, the Red Museum itself was a play on uh, an X-Files episode that's where its name comes from. And it was this vegan cult who ran a church called the Church of the Red Museum. And the farmers in the community were blaming them for the murder of, like, these kids in the town. And, in fact, it was the, uh, the cattle workers who were injecting the kids with the bovine chemical. Did to, you like, just do a spoiler for yeah. someone who didn't see <laughs> right. the episode? Right. <laughs> and so the church was, like, totally innocent. And, um, but we... The, the founders, most of us were all vegetarian at the times so to, to kind of create that church type environment for artists to, to, to express themselves basically. Yeah. Well, every time I go out there, there's something really cool going on yeah. and it, it's the place to go to in SAC. The best music, we play it all for you on Radio Flaw. Radio Flaw presents brand new from Experiment Haywire, Optimized alternative technology album now streaming.
Franz Michael. I'm the COO of exotv.me. And I'm Franz Ressel. I am the CEO of exotv.me. And I'm Milk Surface. I'm here to ask you guys some questions about building a new online community. But uh, before we dive too far into that, what is exotv.me? Well, XOTV, what we like to say, the short version is it's YouTube, but without the bad parts. Um, essentially, we go in and, and we help creators make a business around what they love to do, and we give them the tools to actually do that. And so what that really means is that uh, we actually build communities around the creators. And the creator is the, the focus of XOTV. And it's not advertising, it's not collecting data, it's helping people to achieve what they want to achieve in the creative space. So definitely, you know, creators focus, not uh, the whole big brother capturing everything, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was, a, that was a big thing for us to say. Yeah, actually, we, we don't want to track every single thing that you do and then sell it to everybody. We, we want to be respectful of that. And if we ever do track something, we want you to be educated and know why we're tracking it and what we're going to do with it. Yeah, uh, everything I've seen from the platform is really about having control to know what uh, is going on and what you put out there, even from the core premise of that you're you're curated. Exactly. Yeah. So we curate all the creators that come onto the platform. Um, but one of the things that can come up is people go, well, then, I mean, you're going to, you know, put a bias on what you're doing or you're not going to allow certain groups of people on. Um, that's not what the curation process is there for. It's really there to basically weed out the people that just want to post home videos. You know, we're not about, we're not a home video website. What we are is a place for people who take themselves seriously and want to produce high quality content. But that also means when we go out and we look at new people coming onto the website, we look at their potential as well. You know, we don't just look at where they are right now, because sometimes some of the best creators have come out of a place where you look at their early stuff and you go, wow, that actually looks like shit. So <laughs> we, we like to look and see, okay, do they have the passion? Do they have the drive to make something happen? Um, and that we help them. It's more uh, content and um, forward thinking rather than just the, the beginning quality that really like is what you're looking for. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if somebody comes to us and says, hey, I have all these videos of my kid's birthday party and I want to share it with my family, then we're going to say, sorry, then you should go to YouTube or go to Instagram or something like that. Um, but if somebody comes to us and says, hey, you know, I'm really interested in telling a story or I'm doing reviews or I have a podcast or, you know, there's something of, of that substance that's there. Um, you know, maybe I'm, I'm dealing with an old iPhone right now to record it um, or I don't really know quite how to record or what to do here, um, even that's okay. We'd say, okay, you know, we guide you in the right direction. Um, and we have, you know, special tutorials and things like that for our creators um, to help them get up and running even faster. Yeah, I think that's really an important aspect of it. A lot of the other platforms you buy yourself, you go out there, you try to create something, but you never get really any feedback except, you know, the negative comments most people get on all the other platforms. What we try to do is help each creator to achieve what they want to do by providing actual support. So they can come to us and they have a creator manager and can ask questions anywhere from, hey, I don't know what I'm doing with the camera to all the way up to, I'm doing green screen, I'm having issues with lighting, I have issues with editing, I have issues with sound. We help with all of that. And on top of that, we do give feedback on the actual content itself 
where we can tell you, yes, you know, this is going in the right direction. Here's what you could potentially improve. And through that, you actually can then go to the next level. So what are some of the other like very important focuses that XOTV has that sets it aside from everything else? I mean, one of the other big things is that we integrate a lot of different types of content into one place. So we're not just video, but we also do live streams. We have a blog integrated. There's a community forum. There's music. You can link up a shop. And all of those pieces come together for the creator where you can just basically place these things together like Lego blocks. Um, and you can build up a, a content selection and a, and a home for your community in the exact way that you want. So you don't have to jump from platform to platform to platform to platform making all these different accounts to get a complete experience. It's all in one place and you can use it all seamlessly together. So for instance, if you have a podcast like, I don't know, Radio Flom and a blog that accompanies it to link to videos and pictures, you could kind of all have that in one spot. Exactly. And you wouldn't have to jump from, mm. you know, all these different platforms to, to consume that content. Interesting. So you said that there's no ads. How are content creators able to make a profit from the work that they're putting out there? So we have actually a number of different ways where you can generate income. The number one uh, source is direct consumer payments, so subscriptions or one-time purchases. And we have that set up that you have total control over your content, what you can deliver to what subscribers. So this is very different to, for instance, a Patreon where you go to a site, you sign up for an account, you then support a creator, and the creator, in essence, gives all the content away for free and doesn't really have any control over what the paying customer sees. On our side, we actually have it set up that you have very fine-grained controls. So you can go in and say, hey, if you pay $4.99 a month, you get this type of content. If you pay $19.99 a month, you get this type of content. And this is stretched throughout the whole platform. So this is blogs, this is live streams, this is video. Uh, you can even go in and on our community set up forums that are specific for people to talk to you directly if they pay a certain amount. Now, having said all this, to start out with, of course, you want to give quite a bit of this away for free because you want people to get engaged with your content. And so we give that choice to the uh, creator as well. It's super easy. It's just a drop down menu on that each piece of content that you have. You can say, okay, this is only available to people that you know pay four ninety nine a month. Um, and then Franz also touched on a little bit on one time purchase, which is essentially like selling a movie or a song on iTunes, but you set the price as the creator. So um, on any piece of content, you can sell it for one ninety five and up. Um, and when somebody purchases that content, they have it in their account and they can watch it or consume it as many times as they want. The other thing, though, is you were talking about not uh, doing ads. Well, we are actually working with people to do integrated sponsorships. So the, the thing that we stay away from is overlay ads, simply because you have to collect a massive amount of data to deliver ads that are even reasonably correct. Also, they can be very disruptive of content. You know, nowadays when you go onto a platform like YouTube, um, you'll have you know oftentimes five ads in a video that's you know twenty minutes long, and that can just completely disrupt the flow of the content that you're watching. So what we are doing is we're actually going in and we do integrated sponsorships where we help creators 
to link up with specific brands. A good example is we have some creators that are currently working with Ford Motor Company. They actually provide cars to them when they do certain shoots. They also provide money to them for the actual videos and they become sponsored videos. And so there is no issue then between the brand and the video because everybody knows what they're getting. If you look at something like YouTube, one of the biggest issues is uh, when the adpocalypse started was that there were a lot of ads placed on videos that did not match up with the company philosophy. And so we solve it that way, uh, but still give the creator the opportunity to make money off advertising. That's cool. Yeah, I've seen a lot of horror stories of having <laughs> conflicting, you know, view sets or different things versus ads and the the content that's there, or just YouTube having ads that they wouldn't approve of, but like have yep. slipped through the cracks constantly. Yep. So, uh, speaking of horror stories, you you've started a new community. Has there been any issues? Have you guys ran into like a just any online fires you've had to put out? Um, not yet. Uh, this is definitely something that we're looking at and, and, you know, we were trying to make sure that we, we handle it very quickly. Um, but the cool thing is that the way that we're building this is all about supporting each other um, and and just really building these tight knit communities around the content that's there. And because of the way that we've been going out and pushing this forward, um, it's been taken on really, really well. I um, mean, we really haven't had very many people come up and, and do anything that started a fire or anything like that. And if there was anybody that was sort of inflammatory, it was more like a match than an actual inferno. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. Uh, what are some positive stories then? Uh, what, what are some cool highlights from the, the whole experience? Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest thing for me is seeing the creators that come on and then seeing them become, number one, just increase the quality of their content tremendously. One, that's one of the huge things that we see. A creator comes on, their their content is okay, you know, it's they've got the right idea, but maybe they just need, to, you know, a little bit of direction in the right areas. Um, and they just improve the quality of their content tremendously in a very quick time frame. Um, and then seeing them get the recognition that they deserve um, with lots and lots of people coming to their content um, and, and just sort of joining their community uh, yeah. as they move forward. Yeah, one of the things that we ran into with several of the creators that used to be on YouTube, they did not really get any traction at all. They would have uh, videos uploaded, they would get maybe five or 10 views, they have done it for a year, they have tried everything that they can, they would then come over to xotv.me upload the content and immediately get an uptake of 20, 30x immediately of the views that they get and the interaction that they get. And so even though maybe the views are not in the tens of thousands, the views that you're actually getting are really good views that are from uh, uh, viewers and from consumers that really want to engage with you. Yeah, they've moved over to this platform to see you. They're they're actually going to watch the content. They're not yeah. just kind of like dead views. They're engaging, right? Exactly. They're engaged views. Yeah. yeah, and so there's always the question, you know, what's a view? 
And each platform has a different uh, metric of what a view is. Like if you go on uh, Facebook, for instance, a view is one and a half seconds worth of display on your phone, for instance. And this is actually one of the reasons why when we're looking at Exit TV moving forward, we actually want to move away from views because oftentimes it can be that very just nebulous idea of like, well, this video on this platform got, you know, 100,000 views, but the same video on another platform that has, you know, like Facebook versus YouTube or something like that only got 1,000 views. Um, and you don't really know what that means. And so what we're looking at more so is saying we want engagement over everything else. So whether that's through comments or whether that's through um, we're coming up with new systems that allow you to appreciate videos um, in a different way um, and, and reacting to them and things like that. Uh, that way, it's, it's just something that gives you a little bit more. It's not a passive thing. It's not just because somebody clicked on it and watched it through. They're actually engaging with the video. And that's really important to us. Yeah, that that building upon everything, because you can have a YouTube video that has thousands of views and it really just hasn't been touched at all besides yep. that to where yep. you can have someone who only has like a hundred followers, but every one of those people are sharing their videos and yep. spreading. That's it, exactly so. yeah. Exactly. And so those, those are the people we want to build the community with. So who are some creators that you want to throw a quick spotlight on? Um, yeah, I mean, we've one of the creators that we've been working with for a long time. Um, his name is Adrian Werner Schippers. Skippers. Skippers. <laughs> he's from South Africa. Um, he was an early adopter of ExoTV. Um, he's, he does a vlogging channel. He's really great at what he does. He's one of the creators that I've seen just improve so much over the past. Um, basically, he's been working for us or working with us for about a year. Yeah, um, and, and he's just improved tremendously on there. Um, and he's an awesome guy, uh, and he makes some really good content. Well, another one is this guy sitting right next to me, Franz Michael. Uh, he has a channel on ExoTV called Important, which has been featured by uh, some really, really great people in uh, the uh, software development industry. Yeah, and that's important with an exclamation mark. Exclamation yeah, exactly, point. Exactly. Yeah, it's exclamation point, important or not important um, is sort of the, the thing that's there. It's a, it's a show that's all about um, design on the web, um, taking apart websites, looking into them, diving in, seeing how, what makes this website tick um, on the front end side of things. Um, and that's been a really, really fun thing to, to go in. And I'm actually going to be relaunching that. Um, very soon with season two, um, whole rebrand and, and all sorts of stuff, cool stuff coming online with that. And then in uh, a newer creator that we just brought online, uh, which is more in the financial and political space, is called Kevin Freeman, uh, is a channel called Economic War Room. And he focuses on helping people with their finances. Uh, he uh, has been on YouTube, but because he has somewhat a little bit more conservative views, uh, has been pretty much totally shut down on YouTube and has found a new home with us because one of the things that we are trying to do is be as free speech as possible. What that means to us is basically that we have very specific laws. We don't call them rules. We call them content laws uh, that tell you what's allowed and what isn't allowed. And as long as you stay within that, you are protected. And so we are finding that we are now getting several of uh, these creators that have been really ditched by YouTube that have really, really great, uh, high-quality content coming over to ExoTV.
one thing on the content laws is, is that they don't change because that was one of the big things for me when I was on YouTube because um, I had a YouTube channel for a while and that had built up a pretty good following around and I got hit really hard with um, the YouTube algorithm changes and everything. Um, and and that was a big thing for me is that these constant changing rules and not knowing if you're on stable ground or not. One day you're making content that everything's good and you got the A plus on it. Um, and then the next day you're making content that is not allowed to be on the platform and, and just, you know, you get hit really hard by that. Um, so that was why we went out and said, okay, we're making content laws. They don't change. They're clearly set here and everybody gets treated the same way. Yeah. And I'm seeing, you know, you have a large, like, you know, type of content. You've got music, gaming channels, you've got financial advice, like you're saying. So, you know, even though it's smaller and newer, you're already just hitting every home base, like, you know, other multimedia platforms. Yeah, that's really what we're trying to do. And that's that's a huge advantage also of the curation side of things is that we can focus on specific content verticals and say, okay, you know, we're, we're maybe don't have as much of the music content right now. So we're going to focus on outreach to those musicians and, and people that are out there. Um, which also I do want to shout out one of our newest channels that just came on, which is Brother Deej, um, who actually he did the music for Django Unchained. Um, which is really cool. And, and he's just came online um, yesterday, actually. Yeah, yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. And he's already got three videos out on his page. Yeah. And yep. so, he, you know, content's coming quick. Definitely. Uh, I know I'm going to produce some stuff in there. I've, I've already gotten the, the pass and you'll see if you regret that or not. But I've got some fun <laughs> stuff planned. Um, I like that there's not this overwhelming pressure of having to make content every day yeah. in order yeah. to even be seen by the people who like follow you, like how yeah. YouTube is. So exactly. it's the first time I've I've seen a video platform where I think, oh, I could actually make my stuff, but like at the pace that would be realistic for me. Exactly. I think this is That's... really what you just hit on is really really important. There's a lot of people that start out trying to make content and they have these very lofty goals and uh, you don't realize how hard it actually is to make content on a consistent basis and having that flexibility I think makes it much much easier for creators that start off that then just start getting their footing as they go along so I think that's a really important factor. And that's also ties into one aspect that that is sort of the underlying core principle behind ExoTV, which is that we obsess over the creative process from start to finish, and we want to make it the best it can be. So what does it take to become part of the community of content creators? Well, you can send us an email, creators at xotv.me. Let us know what you're about. Give us an example of the content that you've created in the past, and we'll be in contact with you and hopefully get you online as, as quickly as possible. Well, the, the other thing that's really interesting is, is that we get a lot of referrals from other creators that, that are now on the platform and become our ambassadors. So uh, a lot of times we get inquiries from people that have heard about us or have looked at the website. And uh, again, what we said before is you don't necessarily have to have uh, a large library of content or whatever. A lot of times we get inquiries from people and saying, hey, I have this idea. This is what I would like to start. Could you guys help me do this? And if we see that there is real passion behind this, we will go ahead and we will help out and get that creator going. Yeah. So when you guys say you're about the creators and you support them, you don't just mean with some algorithm that's going to screw everyone over. You mean you actually communicate and support yep. and help their content, not only 
build upon itself and grow, but become better. Exactly. This is ExoTV is the human social media platform. Radio Flom. Now within the boundaries of the law. Okay, so I went to open mic night at Tower Brewery here in Sacramento. And it was a really nice place. The beer there was super good. It was a lot of craft beers. Um, it had a really nice rustic look to the place. You could look into the back and you could see where they make all that beer. It looks like they, it looked to me like they made a lot of the beer on site there. And, uh, I recommend, I think it was called the Carl was the beer that I had while I was there. And that it's a very light beer. It was super good. An open mic night was a lot of fun. They had the sign-up sheet there. You walk in around 6 or something, you go in and sign in. And then they call everyone up in order to do their thing at around 7-ish. And so they would call people up one at a time from the from the sheet. And, dude, it was so much fun just watching these people get up on stage and just have fun doing their thing. And some of these people were absolutely incredible at what they did. Uh, a lot of them played guitar, and uh, there's a ukulele. This old man with the ukulele went up there. I think his name was Bob, and he, it was just so fun listening to him because he seemed like he was just having such a good time up there just doing his thing, and it was a good time all around, and even when I went up there, people were so supportive. I mean, I went there just to check it out and see what it was like, and it was just an awesome time everyone was having so much fun and that's the one thing that i really remembered was everyone was having such a good time there was no judgment everyone was just up there and doing their thing whenever they went up on stage and i really really enjoyed that so if you ever have a chance to go to tower brewery and go to open mic night it's every monday they're at open mic night at tower brewery in sacramento so just go down there and just have a good time and i think Whoever goes there will really love it. And if, even if they don't like the acts, they're certainly going to love the beer. And if they don't like the beer, then they're going to love the acts. We have another classic track from our community. Here is Flom's very own Jasper James. Last Parade. The Last Parade. to the one showing me a brand new day and as i look into your eyes see the wonders that display big world yes i've caught on to your subtle ways to others you might be there in disguise but i will always see your face holding on to the bow that never breaks from the beginning of all time until the last hearts get made Holding on to the one that never fades From the beginning of our love Until the last parade
so I can love another day. I'm thankful for your blessed arms, are holding me up in so many ways. Your goodness softly carries me away. Yes, you keep me safe from harm, and you fill me with your They said, be smart before they catch you. They said you have a lot of fun there, and I wish it could last, but you can do a lot. A pluralist job for a pluralist girl. As a troublemaker, where do I rank? I even considered throwing shut two tunnels and fighting the police with simple store-bought fireworks in a ruin. I would have to throw one tunnel shut, run to the other, then head to the ruin. Like the road runner. Maybe I should have thrown the tunnel to Brussels shut too. I just figured that now. But I could have conquered Antwerp without a single shot. Got as far as carrying a large boulder I stole from a gothic church to one tunnel. It was a dark brown support from a curved arch. Nice bugger. I would have made a stand. It would have been like reservoir dogs without all the blood. Maybe even with the colors. Now nothing happens. All these racist crusaders now. I would have fought for the arts, now that would have been unique. He said, well. You'll go to jail. I said, you know what the Marquis de Sade wrote, dude? He said. Different age. Along with the 
immigrants that rushed to California for the gold rush came the cholera epidemic. It arrived in Sacramento in October of 1850, and within three weeks, 800 to 1,000 residents were dead, along with the 17 doctors who tried to treat them. While Sacramento has many noted people buried in the Old City Cemetery, we have the distinction of having Alexander Hamilton's youngest son, William Stephen Hamilton, there, who came to Sacramento in 1850 and promptly got cholera and died. Radio Flom is brought to you in part by your neighbor. You know, the one you never talk to because you are too busy, the one who drives past your home every day in that very, very loud car, the one with the lawnmower at six in the morning. Yes, the one who put trash in your bin without asking and has one of your relatives tied up in their basement. Yeah, that one. Maybe you shouldn't ignore them as much as you do. Because when it comes to gossip, they know more about you than you than even your significant other. Carter's Little Liver Pills Fixafile.com Great printing at low prices. Diego Valley At twitter.com slash Diego Valley underscore LTHM and soundcloud.com slash Diego Valley Music. Seventh Swami at seventhswami.com and and our best friend next door squadcast.fm While Squadcast can't really help you talk to the Joneses next door, it can help you record conversations with people far far away for your very own podcast. Go check them out. Because if there aren't good people to talk to in your own neighborhood, you can always find some stranger far, far away who wants to plug something. Hey, Chad. Uh, yeah, Cliff isn't doing too hot. So, oh. Yeah, uh, Cliff, hope you get better. I hope you get better too, Clay. Uh, yeah. So, Chad, we're we're gonna need you to read the credits again. Um, okay. Yeah. This right here. Yeah. Yeah. Wait. This well, one too, you. right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, all of it. This Just, this page two thirty eight. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just the whole thing. Why does this say sign here? Uh, don't worry about that. We'll take care of it afterwards. Okay. All right. Gotcha. <laughs> From Sacramento, the heart of California and around the world, this has been Radio Flop, featuring a cast of dozens. Appearing on tonight's episode, in order, were... Nikki Sounds, Audrey Daggett, Steve Mehalo, Matt Ropé, Jason Spear, Dutch Falconi and the Dutch Falconi Orchestra, Christopher Cook, Randy Tavares, Craig McLean, Milk Surface, Tommy Phoenix, Avon Lejanik, Amanda Horn, Steven Emily Wiesman, Ayotunde Kirei Kuku, Zilou, Jared Duncan Tarp, Kyle Jackson, K. 
Kyle Mitzel, Richard de Razzo, Experiment Haywire, Franz Michael, Franz Russell of Vexo TV, Chad André, Dorothy Mehalo, Jasper James, Christitia Lanegorem, et Alboli. Radio Plum is produced by Steve Mahalo and Milk Surface as himself. The music by Chelsea Davis. Sound design and engineering by Steve Mahalo. Radio Plum is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 international license. However, recordings of contributors or guests of Radio Plum are still protected under international copyright law. All episodes can be downloaded for your convenience. Radio Flom contains works featured for review, opinion, critique, and or artistic transformation, and will contain adult content and nudity. Flom is a faux modern art movement art history resource that promotes learning and education through new and alternative media. Flom is your online connection to art, history, music, and beyond through Instagram, Twitter, and other social media. We are all Flomists. You can be too. Donations graciously accepted at patreon.com slash flommus, F-L-O-M-M-U-S. Or just buy us a coffee at flom.us forward slash coffee. We are at flommus on most social media. Flom is sometimes explained, but usually not. This is Cliff Allen saying thank you for listening. And if you don't like this podcast, do something about it. Fuck, Chad. What? I, rec- I recognize some of my friends out there. I don't know them very well. This is someone. Go! You stop that! Okay, now listen. There, there's only one way you can help this, this, little, this little Dutch, Dutchly type band. You can save them. You can be part of something that is so much bigger, so much broader, so much better than anything you could be by. It's not the jazz, it's not the what, it's not the zero, it's not a lot. You have to come close. The music of the Lord, it's that simple. It's not ones, it's not zeros, it's none of that, it's none of this dense digital devil militia. Turn your back on that. I want to love you. Shut up, Dasha! Get it! Shut up! This is no time. No time to bring that up! No. No time to bring that up! Is it? No. We need to come so close. And we need to feel something. You cannot feel any place else. Except with me. Except with my God! On my terms! In my world! With my love! Bathing you!